We as Christians tell the truth. We say Jesus is Lord, that he died for our sins, that he rose again from the dead, that he lives in us by his Holy Spirit. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by Jesus. Now, people deny that, and they want to make Christianity look foolish. How do we prove that Jesus is true? What is the magic argument that will pin somebody to the ground and crush their rib cage? The problem is it does not exist. And it can just turn into this and nothing happens. Because talk is cheap. But Peter today commands us to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And it's not by clever arguments. That doesn't mean we don't say anything. You know, it's the foolishness of the message of the gospel that saves people. It's right there in the Word. But what's the proof? Not by might and not by power, but by the Spirit of God. And see, this is the point that Peter's going to make today. Nobody can argue with the power of a good life. So I'm reading in... 1 Peter 2, from verse 11, to get the context. He says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe Glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So Peter is telling us to live rightly before all men. It's partly for our own benefit. It's okay. Hi. See, it's okay. We're all still alive. You want to live right for your own benefit. Because in verse 11... Peter's talking about fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Now, have you ever experienced that? The fact that there are lusts of the flesh that are waging war against you. You know, like what's happening in Israel right now. Hamas is firing hundreds of rockets now, when you fire hundreds of rockets, you're not there to make a nice team suggestion. I was reading the BBC, and it says that Hamas made an ultimatum to Israel. And when Israel ignored their ultimatum, then they started firing rockets. So, what are the rockets for? The rockets are to destroy buildings and kill people. Okay, this isn't an argument. This is, we want to kill you. 
And that's what fleshly lusts do. They want to kill you. And so it's for your benefit that you stay away from these things and run with focus and force to Jesus, seeking him. But you know, there's a bigger issue at stake than just you. And you find when you come to Jesus that, yeah, you're saved, but it's not just about you. There's a bigger issue, and the issue is everybody else around you. It's being a witness of the reality of Jesus to everybody else in the world. And see, what Peter brings up here is that Christians are slandered as evildoers in the world. You read the Acts of the Apostles, and the authorities are really put out that these people are preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, who cares? Right? What's wrong with that? Is anybody being hurt? But boy, <laughs> these guys really have a problem with it. And they just say, look, don't speak anymore in this name. And they put him in prison. They beat him up. Now, you know, Peter was in prison a bunch of times, so he understands that whole thing about being slandered. You know, Christians were routinely slandered as evildoers back in those times, right now. Back then, they were slandered as unpatriotic and atheists. Atheists because... What do they worship? They don't have any images. How do we know what he looks like? You know, they worship the empty air. Who are these guys? And they're unpatriotic because in times threatening the Roman Empire, everybody was supposed to pull together and burn incense to the emperor who was like the spirit of the empire. We want to pull together and... Let's be patriotic, and all you got to do is burn a little incense. Everything's cool. But the Christians wouldn't do it. And to everybody else, it was like a technicality. Like, come on, everybody burns to the gods. Lots of gods. Everybody has a god. Just do it. It's no big deal. But the Christians said, yes, it's a big deal. There's only one god. His name is Jesus. And so the authorities would say, why are you guys being so picky? Why are you so unpatriotic? Do you want the barbarians to just... Why don't you just bend a little bit here? And the Christians said, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so they said, you guys are unpatriotic. So... They were slandered, the Christians, for doing all sorts of horrible things. Who knows what goes on in those places? They drink blood and they eat flesh. That's what I've heard. Sort of. It's a cup of wine, it's a loaf of bread, and we say, this is his body which is broke. It's a symbol, you guys. No, they really eat flesh and they drink blood. My brother-in-law told me about it. So what do you do with these weirdos? You know, the very same thing happened to Jesus. The Jews deliver him up to the Roman governor and they say, this guy says he's a king. And they made it into a political issue so that the Roman governor would have to do something about it. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. But they're accusing him. He's trying to sedition. He's trying to overthrow the government. He thinks he's somebody. you got to kill him. So, this is what happens. Christians are slandered 
in the world. And you know the big one, right? Well, they're all just a bunch of hypocrites. That one hurts. Well, Peter says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And excellent is a word that means good, commendable, beautiful, honest, right, praiseworthy. It means living in a way that people cannot help but notice that your behavior is beyond reproach. There's nothing for them to say about you that's bad. And it means doing good, being kind, gentle, patient, not bragging, not being arrogant, not easily provoked, not keeping a record of wrongs, not being rude, but bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. That means we have to love everybody. That's what it means. Love towards all men is beautiful and it's good. And here's why. Because the Gentiles are watching you. And they're always watching you. Everybody is watching you. Did you know that? They're always looking. You never catch them looking at you. Because I never let anybody catch me looking at them. Right? I'm looking. And so is everybody else. Everybody's watching, even when you don't think so. And let's not even get started about closed-circuit television, of which England has the most number of cameras per capita of the entire world. You're always being watched. And what are they, what are they seeing? They're watching how you treat people, how you behave. They're watching how you drive. I know because I'm watching everybody how they drive. They drive like maniacs. They think I drive like grandpa. What are you doing keeping the speed limit, grandpa? But see, everybody's watching. Now, this makes a big impression, your life, because you don't lack, act like everybody else. You're different. You are a city on a hill. You are a light that cannot be hidden. You're like a lamp in a dark place, and when you come in, all of a sudden it's light. And when you leave, it gets dark again, and everybody knows it. They know this about you. Now, our words may not move anybody. I don't know that I've ever convinced anybody to be a Christian. Sit down, three rounds, fair rules, no hits below the belt. Sorry, I'm out. I've never won an argument. But it's the life that will convince people. And you know, Peter says here, we're going to win every argument. We are going to be vindicated. That is, look in verse 12, it says, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. This is when Jesus comes back. Jesus is going to be vindicated as real. All those people who have used the name of Jesus as a curse word are going to see Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven 
with the holy angels and go, oh no, and realize everything I've ever heard about Jesus is true and I have rejected him all my life and now here he is coming. Jesus is going to be vindicated as the one who died for our sins and rose again from the dead and he is the name above all names and every knee is going to bow before him and every tongue confess that he is the Lord and that he lived in you and in you. And people saw the goodness of Jesus in you and they said, no way. That guy's an evildoer. He's a jerk. He's a hypocrite. I hate Christians. He's always doing nice stuff and it drives me nuts. Who does he think he is? But they're going to have to confess on that day, Jesus is in you and you were doing the right thing. See, we're going to win all the arguments. But we don't have to win them right now. We don't have to overpower anybody or conquer or, you know what I'm talking about? Conflict. We don't have to do that. Because all we're doing now is testifying with our lives and saying, Jesus is real. Jesus is worthy to follow because he lives in me. I am the proof that Jesus died and came back to life again because of my life. So we're to let our lives just be visible. Just do those things. Following Jesus. And believe you me, everybody is watching. Now you know there are some people who say, testify with your lives and sometimes open your mouth. I think that's wrong. Because, again, it's the message of the gospel that saves people. They have to hear about Jesus. We can't just, you know, do our thing and expect that to be enough. Because people will assume, oh, wow, they're a nice person. And, you know, that's not it. Jesus only saves sinners. I'm a sinner. And if there's any good in my life, it comes from the fact that Jesus lives in me. Some doctor said to me one time, oh, is it your religion that makes you so nice and good? Because I wasn't yelling at her. I go, no. Jesus saved me. And he lives in me. And the best part about me is somebody else. That's reality. So, look what Peter says here. Because we're going to testify with our lives that Jesus lives in us. He says in verse 13, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Christians are to be faithful members of the state. Romans 13, listen to this. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. 
Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Now, Paul agrees with Peter that government is to punish evildoers and praise those who are doing what is right. So they are to imprison murderers and they are to give out OBEs or whatever awards to people who are doing good. And that's why you pay your taxes, not avoid them. Now, as my accountant friend Bruce says, go by their laws and do everything they say. He's very skillful, that guy. So, okay, make it legal. But then you're to render to God the things that are God's and the things to Caesar, the things that are Caesar's. Jesus said to do that. So you know, you obey the laws, you even obey the speed limit. You stop at red lights. You're supposed to stop at yellow ones. And you know, I've run a few red lights too. So when I do that, I'm not any different from anybody else. This is something that is a testimony. I know how to drive 90 miles an hour in a 30 zone. I'm not stupid. But you don't. Because you belong to Jesus. All right? Now, the first thing that comes up into everybody's mind when you say things like subject yourself to the authorities is what about Hitler? What are you supposed to do then? Every time I've taught this, somebody's come up to me and said, what about Adolf Hitler? And here's the answer. Neither Paul nor Peter is saying that government is perfect or even righteous. You know that both Peter and Paul would be executed during the reign of Nero. And if you read up on Nero, man... He was bad. But they're saying, submit to the government for the Lord's sake because the Lord says to do it. Do you know that Jesus submitted to the government when they arrested him, when they tried him, when they could not condemn him, but condemned him anyway? He submitted. Now, every king, every governor, every prime minister is going to stand before God and give an account of how they conducted their government. And nobody is going to get away with anything. They can get away with anything right now. They can postpone investigations. They can just do anything they want. But they're not going to get away with anything, not one thing. They're going to be judged for their lies and their crimes, their thefts, their mismanagement, the prostitution of their office that they hold as a public trust. Now, the state can go beyond what God says they can do. God says the state is to suppress evil and to reward the good. But the state can go further and say, we're God and you have to obey us or we're going to kill you. That's basically what happened in Germany in the 30s and 40s. Government oversteps its bounds. It can be tyrannical. And when the state is wrong, then 
from the conviction you have in the word of God, you oppose it. You'll find out that it's not that easy. When you read the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he could see what was happening in his country. He could see it coming. He knew that Hitler was anti-Christ. And he opposed it. But he found very few people, very few Christians, willing to stand with him. Because it's not that easy. Now, it's one thing to oppose the government when it's not a big deal. You say, well, I'm not going to pay my taxes because they use my money wrongly. So that's just rebellion. But when it comes time to say, you know what? The government is requiring things that only God can require. And in this, we have to obey God rather than men. At that point, you have to accept the consequences of that. If your civil disobedience and opposition leads to you being arrested and tried and executed, then you accept that. Like what happened to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. They shut down all the Christian seminaries to produce more ministers. And so he had a seminary in secret. He was opposing the government because his mandate was to raise up faithful men who will teach other faithful men. And so though it was against the law, he kept training men. He opposed. And even when it came down to an attempt to assassinate Hitler, he says, we have to stop him. That's his conviction. And on a thing like that, you have to stand before God and not men. You have to know what is your biblical conviction before God and then accept the consequences. Because he was arrested, tried, sentenced, and executed within days of the collapse of the government. But Hitler wanted him dead. You know, the, the single greatest opposition to Adolf Hitler was what was known as the confessing church because they didn't go along with Hitler. And they kept preaching and showing that he was against the Bible, even though he came in as a real righteous-looking guy. He said all the God words. And everybody was thinking, whoa, conservative, good. And... Bonhoeffer and the, and, and the guys in the confessing church said, no way. Well, they were really the only effective opposition to Adolf Hitler. But then they had to accept the consequences for their opposition. Now, you know, today, Martin Luther King accepted the consequences of his opposition to racism. He didn't attack the state, fire bombs, breaking shop windows. It was peaceful resistance. And he accepted the consequences of being mistreated. But see, it was his Honoring Jesus that showed everybody who attacked them is wrong because they were peaceful. They weren't hurting anybody. They weren't damaging pro property or anything like that. How different from Black Lives Matter where if you don't see things their way, they're going to cave in your skull and torch your building. There's no difference between those guys and any rival government that just wants to kill and take over. You know, if you really have an issue, where is the goodness that proves you're right? Christians in China and Saudi Arabia worship Jesus at the risk of their lives, and they accept those risks. 
That's how you oppose the state. You endure persecution with a clear conscience toward God. So Peter says here, in verse 16, as free. As free. And he means as a free person, not as a slave. Act as free men who are slaves of God. Free men are not slaves of anybody. Nobody makes them do anything. You make your own career choices. You choose your own job. You live where you can. Nobody can compel you. But Peter says we're to use our freedom to submit ourselves to the Lord and be his slaves. We're not the boss. Ever since Jesus saved me, I know who's Lord. He's the Lord, and I'm his bond slave. And every apostle takes that viewpoint. So you can read in all of Paul's letters, Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Peter, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And so our will is to be swallowed up in his will. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. Lots of slaves were becoming Christians. And they were being freed inside. Even though they're still outwardly, I'm still a slave, I still have to be in this arrangement, I'm not in charge of my life. But Paul says, you know what? You're free inside. Everybody else in the world is a slave of sin. Heads of state and billionaires. They're slaves of sin inside. They look like they can do anything they want. But they're slaves of materialism. They're slaves of idolatry. Now Paul, again, here agrees with Peter. And he says in Galatians 5, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're not to live in fleshly lust, which wages war against the soul. Through love, we're supposed to serve one another. Now, people see that as bondage. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want to serve anybody. I want to be free. In the same sense that even a billionaire has said, you know, I'm just not free in my life to develop in the way that I need to develop. And so I want to divorce my wife so that I can be free to develop my life. Well, my marriage is a bondage, says the billionaire. You know that God commits himself to his people by a covenant. That's a bond. And he commits them to them Forever, in a bond, like marriage. And faithfulness, in his mind, is not a bondage. It's stability, and it's peace. He says, serving others is a joy. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And like I say, many of Peter's readers would have been slaves, that's what they do. I'm a slave for the rest of my life. But they're to be bond slaves of Jesus, benefiting even their own master because they're to love everybody. And so, master, I love you. And I'm going to clean out the horse stable because I love you. Because Jesus told me to, and you told me to, and I love Jesus. So I'm going to have a great attitude as I clean out the horse stable. 
minds are blown. So as a bond slave of Jesus, you do what he wants. And he says here in verse 17, honor all people. Not because they deserve it, but because Jesus loves the just and he loves the unjust. And he says to you, honor everybody. Even those unreasonable people. Because you're to be just like him. And that's a testimony that Jesus lives in you. He says, love the brotherhood. These are the believers. And you remember who they are. The things that are not. The low, the weak, not the beautiful people, not mighty, no advantages here. But God says, love them. Love them. Because God has put infinite value on them. Every one of us here today, trusting in Jesus, God says, you are infinitely valuable to me because I sent Jesus to die for you. And Jesus is infinitely valuable. And so we reflect that by showing one another love and honor and respect. God is really our Father. So we really are brothers and sisters. And in, in this family, everybody loves everybody or else. <laughs> That's the way God runs the family. And if you have a, a disagreement there, then God's going to take you off into the corner and educate you about how things run in this family. In other words, the talk. Oh, no, not the talk. Yes, the talk. Yes, you know it. Good. Excellent. Great place to start. He also says here, fear God. You know, you don't presume on your Father in heaven. You don't take advantage of him because he's got a soft spot in his heart for you. Remember, everybody loves everybody or else. Have you ever experienced or else? I have. So you know what? I fear God. If you're in your right mind, you fear God. And if you're crazy, you don't fear God. You know, you make your father visible by the respect that you show him. You show utmost respect by your utmost obedience. And you do things right, not because somebody might be looking, but because God is looking all the time. Now, you know, he looks at you not with angry eyebrows, not like this. So you better fly right, pal, or it's a trip to the moon without a rocket. No, he looks at you like this. He's your father in heaven who loves you like crazy. And every time you live in a careless, stupid manner, it's like you're poking your finger right in your father's eye who loves you. And you should feel small and stupid because you're sinning against somebody who loves you infinitely. So you know, you fear God and you do what is right because he is absolute love. And you honor the king. You know, it's so easy to despise the government. But the Bible says we're supposed to pray for our rulers, that they'll do the right thing. And we do. And we even pray that they get caught. Because that's necessary. 
The day they don't get caught, they think they're going to get away with everything. And all hell is going to break loose. Those days are coming. And so now we want to show our love for the government by praying for them and also praying that they get caught. So you don't curse the king. You pray for him. If you really feel that deeply about it, pray more. And the point of living right this way is a testimony to everybody that silences the ignorance of foolish men. And there are people who are ignorant of God, and without exception, they are ignorant and foolish. They always go hand in hand. Ignorance and foolishness. And the problem is, they bring the way of God into disrepute. Because they're always there to poo-poo it. Something good is happening, they just go, this is nothing. Imagine, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God is outpoured, and these people who are obviously Galileans are praising God in languages that they could not know. And they're glorifying God. And people from all over the known world are saying, that's a Galilean, but he's praising God in my language. I understand him. And there's always some foolish guy on hand to say, well, they're drunk. Here's a miracle of God. The word of God is being fulfilled in a, in a way that is just unprecedented. And everybody's going, what does this mean? Oh yeah, well, the drunk. That is so bad. Foolish men explain away miracles as trivial. The way of God as nothing. Here's Paul, the apostle giving a defense of Christianity before rulers, he's on trial. And as he's explaining how he came face to face with Jesus, the Roman governor Festus just yells out, your great learning is driving you crazy. You're insane. Right in front of all these kings and governors. You're crazy. And here's what's at stake. God's reputation in the earth. You know, it's, it's beyond you. This isn't about you. Do you know that if you care about your own reputation, you're never going to talk about Jesus? Because you're scared. As soon as I open my mouth and talk about Jesus, they're going to call me a weirdo. You know, that happens. I have a friend who's a doctor, and I think I've told you that he, he's a Christian, and he's working in a, under his supervisor for a certain research project. And he only recently found out that a majority of the doctors working on this project did not want him because they knew he talked about God, and they just said, we don't want him. But his supervisor says, you're a great guy, and you're doing a fantastic job. And if I were you, I would just be careful because if you talk to the wrong people, you will never work again in this town as a doctor. You can lose your job. See, these are ignorant and foolish men. Here's a guy who has proven by his ability that he is competent and faithful. And yet if he makes the wrong step, he'll never work as a doctor again. So this is about Jesus. This is about the one in whom the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. Jesus explains who God is to the world. He is the truth. He is the only salvation, the only hope of the world. And God wants us to live right for Jesus' sake. 
Now, who's sufficient for this? Not me. But see, what this means, it demands that Jesus live in you. This is the practical application of your salvation. It's not even for your own sake. It's for Jesus' sake. It's for the sake of everybody out there who's watching, who actually would love to see some sign that there is some God who is real because it's falling apart. You can't trust the news. You can't trust the fact checkers. Why not just call them the propagandists? Because all they're doing is affirming the propaganda. So wouldn't they love to see some real truth, some real love, some real compassion, some real sign that there is a God So, what it means is, Jesus has to be living in you. Now, is he living in you? You know, people go to church, and they look like Christians because they're nice, but that's not what it means to be a Christian. It means you have asked Jesus to come into your life because you know you're a sinner. Have you ever done that? If you haven't done it, you're not a Christian. You're outside, and you're under the condemnation of God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Right now is the day of salvation. Now, if you know you're a sinner, then you know that Jesus died for you because he only died for sinners. But if you've asked Jesus to come into your life, then you want to prove the truth. We want to prove God is true because we're not drunkards. We're not sex-crazed party animals. We're not sports fans who beat up the other team's fans if our team loses. We don't beat our wives. We don't beat our children. We don't shoplift. We don't do online scams like parasitic blood-sucking ticks. You know, we provide order to society because there's order in our lives. While order is collapsing all around us, we provide order to society because our lives are ordered. And that order comes from Jesus. And so we are constrained by Jesus to do an honest day's work. We respect the government. We pay our taxes. We love our wives and our husbands and we love our children. We help the poor. We feed people. We pray for the sick. When we're cursed, we bless. When we are slandered, we pray for our enemies. We go the extra mile. We go beyond what is required. And we turn the other cheek. Don't fall asleep on me. <laughs> now here's what people need to do, is process this contradiction. How can that crazy person live such a good life? How do they do that? See, Jesus said, you look at the fruit, and no bad tree can produce good fruit. And if they're calling you a bad tree, 
but all that comes out of your life is good fruit, they have to process this contradiction. It doesn't make sense. I can't stand that person, but they're so good. Drives me nuts. If it's bad fruit, then the tree is bad. So you are proving with your life every day, who is Jesus? And the whole world knows that talk is cheap. So here's where we say, okay, God, do your work in me. Make me a person after your own heart and be glorified in me. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this word. And it is really humanly impossible. And what it demands is that Jesus really be living in us. That we be the slaves of Christ. And for all of us who have never really considered that before, please lodge this deeply in our hearts that we would say to you, I'm yours, I'm your slave. Thank you for saving me. Anything you want, you can have it. And for those who have never received Christ, I pray today that they would turn and flee from the wrath that is coming. Flee to Jesus. Let many people come to Jesus today. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.